Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome everybody to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. PulpHockey.com, get it on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, and of course, go to PulpHockey.com, it's also on there. Appreciate the listens and the downloads, go ahead and tell a friend, review it, and all that good stuff, we appreciate it, and thanks for listening to the recent shows with Jim Fox and Kelly Rudy and uh, Sean Pronger is coming up also. Um, a Ferraro 20 saves you 20%, uh, two under, the number two, UNDR.com, the best men's underwear out there. A lot of NHL guys wear two under, you social Jew, check it out. And a righty board, are you fumbling around with old-school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Tired of drawing plays on the plexiglass? Uh, fret no more, the whitey board is here. Righty board is here, the first portable, restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. As a patented foam technology, makes insulation removing a breeze. Rightyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com. 15%, say 15% if you use the code PULP. Um, and maybe the guy we're talking to could use one of these righty boards. He is a uh, famed goaltender coach, former NHL goaltender, um, now uh, helping out the Winnipeg Jets as a goalie consultant for the, for the Manitoba Moose. He's uh, back in Winnipeg where he's uh, spent a lot of time. It's uh, Rick St. Croix. What's up, Rick? How are you? Hi, Steve. How are you? Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Well, yeah, my pleasure. My Just pleasure. some strange guy emailing you, and, and you agree to do it. I, it's mighty nice of you. Yeah. Well, you're from Winnipeg, so then we give you an extra break. <laughs> what? Uh, how, but by the way, how did you ever end up in Winnipeg? Um, um, your whole your whole life, practically. You've you, I mean, obviously spent some time away for your different jobs, but you've seemed like you've always been back in yeah. Winnipeg. Yeah, I grew up in Kenora, Ontario, two yep. hours uh, east, and. Uh, I was back with the original Jets when uh, Dan Maloney was coaching. I came in. I had just retired. I think I was about a year to two years out. Mm-hmm. I've been back in my hometown, Kenora. And then he uh, invited me to join his staff. So I, in 87, came to Winnipeg with my young family, and we stayed in Winnipeg ever since. And, oh, okay. Uh, I've, I've basically uh, raised my family through uh different ways in the uh, Winnipeg market. We've loved mm-hmm. this area, and that's where our kids are comfortable. And then all the hockey stuff has unfolded from the home base of Winnipeg. Yeah. How, how awesome is it for you and your business and everything else to have the Jets come back like three, three, four years ago, right? Great. Yeah, for sure. And I'd been with the Moose probably mm-hmm. eight years uh, in different stages. So I've, I've worked with the Moose. So I knew the people. And... Uh, uh, no, it's a good fit. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. So did you, for Maloney, when he was coaching the Jets, he came from the Leafs. Was he coaching you at the Leafs, or did you miss him when you retired? No, I had him as a coach okay. at the Leafs as well. So, yeah, so, so he was familiar with you. Maybe he remembered, yeah. uh, at least he knew me. And then <laughs> well, it was actually a baseball charity tournament. Uh-huh. I came to Knorri, and then I happened to go there, and I said hello, and then I think the wheels started turning that I was close enough that right. he should give me a call. Yeah, and he, and he probably felt sorry for you for being shell shocked for your time at the Leafs. Also, not a good team, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, yeah, we had uh, 
some tough memories there. So the right. at least um, at that time we're a struggling team for sure. Uh, Rick, Rick uh go there. if uh, Check out a school, a goaltending website there, private lessons, group lessons, all that. And again, uh, Rick, someone who works with the – he's worked with the elite in NHL goaltending and still in the, involved in the game today. I guess, first of all, uh, Rick, let's talk a little, touch a little bit on the Jets. I know you work with the Moose, but uh, Connor Hellebuck is a big story right now. Um, Andre Pavlik was out with injury. He's getting around coming back. Mike Hutchinson, uh, Hutchinson another um, up-and-coming guy. They're doing well with goalies right now. Like, they're going to have a big decision to make in the offseason, I think. They will, and they might even have one before the draft, uh, not draft, the uh, deadline mm-hmm. um, here shortly because they right now they're carrying three goalies up top. We have, right. don't forget Eric Comrie, too, who's yep. who's a phenomenal prospect, too, in my mind. So, yes, it's, it's good right now, but you're only one injury away from looking for another <laughs> goalie, so that's the strange thing about goaltending and defensemen too probably you never seem to have enough of them right and uh one injury and and you're looking again but we are very fortunate to have uh some pretty solid stud-like goalies yeah and Hutchison can't go down right because he can be claimed he uh he can't be sent down right so yeah difficult he can go for that's right maybe conditioning (laughs) Mm -hmm. or something like that right um this Hellybuck kid uh one year in uh, college, one year in St. John's before the Moose went back to, to Winnipeg. And now, I mean, I don't watch as many games as you. He looks like the real deal, this kid. Well, he has all the tools, that's for sure. And he's done well, and he has a presence mm-hmm. that uh, displays confidence. And, uh, you know, one shot to the next shot, and whether it be a goal, it's ready on the next shot. You can sense that with him. Mm-hmm. So he, he has that leadership in his uh, – Demeanor, I think, um, and he's a big man. You know, yeah. covers a lot of net and does uh, all the things that uh, today's goalie can do, and he can do it from from a larger body, uh, a bigger mass body. Yeah, sure. Um, how much of your job is moose related? Uh, you know, always the, of course, the development goalies in the system, and how much is it of yourself and your business and everything else? Is it? Tough to balance the two, or um, is there one that takes precedent well, over? Yeah, I'm primarily uh, right now goalie development. So I'm any day the Moose are in town, I'm doing that. When they have goalies that they've mm-hmm. uh, highlighted or recognized, uh, they've asked me to go and look at them, maybe give an opinion on a, mm-hmm. on a college goaltender, junior goaltender. That would be something I would also do. But whenever they're in town, I'll be with them here. I have certainly the option to travel with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other things, I've, I've cut back on them considerably. I was doing uh, uh, a lot of goalie training um, for youth and mm-hmm. that, uh, maybe 12 programs through the summer at one time, and that was a busy, busy summer, but I, I did that for 15 years. But I, I'm down to a smaller group or a smaller uh, period of time, so I'm, I've cut that back. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, and the private stuff is done through the winter, but I have some staff that helps me with that, and I mm-hmm. take care of the odd Monday night that I my schedule allows me to. So I still show up and do some of the lessons, but that's running smoothly. I think I I think we we've, we've all I've always tried to make sure that the quality of instruction was there. So I think the people we have are really good helping me, mm-hmm. and then uh, the. the the other things, that's my passion. I, I, I love doing that. I've right. 25 years of sure. goalie schools and working with kids. and Nothing like looking at a young boy or girl through a mask who's smiling and mm-hmm. uh, really enjoying the beauty of what hockey can give. 
You know, um, you're part of the problem to me, Rick. And take the, well, hear me out before before you get mad and hang up. But the goalies in today's game, and this is a big debate right now. I listen to a lot of the podcasts and shows, and I watch the games also. The goalies are too good. And it's because of guys like you, the individual goaltending uh, teachers that are coming in. I mean, I'm sure when you were playing, you didn't have a goalie coach, right? They weren't really around. Um, no, no, you're so right. we got we got equipment problems, we got goalie problems, we got bigger goalies all the time. These guys are huge, um, and and it, goaltending yeah. right now has maybe never been better. And it's a lot of it. We had Jamie McLennan on here a couple months ago, and he just said the individual teaching. You know, you have a you know 20 players on the ice, but three coaches, uh, goalies, there's two of them, and there's one guy working with them both. There's probably no position that's improved as much in the last 15, 20 years, including the equipment uh, the equipment uh, st- technology that's come out. What do you think right now when people tell you, yeah. and you're a member of the goaltenders' union, so you're probably upset, but yeah. what do you think when people are telling you, you know, hey? It doesn't upset me because there's truth to that, but mm-hmm. I don't see that as a criticism. I, I'm saying uh, I agree with that. I mean, the goalies ha- are learning um, – techniques at a younger age and uh, things that we took 15 years to learn through the process of mm-hmm. what we were doing, they're learning at the age of 10. And amongst those few, the, they're getting this, the basic fundamentals that are so important to their development. Um, so I call them cookie cutters. Like, and I right. really evaluate goalies. I mean, most of the times I'm sitting down, my first comment is cookie cutter, but that to me just means he can do all those things that we expect to see in a modern-day goalie. Mm-hmm. Now the, the challenge is for us is to see how he can implement all those things when the structure leaves the game because it's pucks bouncing all over the place. He's got weak defense. He's got to do this. He's got to do that. Mm-hmm. And how does he handle the pressure you know, on the big games and all these other elements to selecting you know, someone who's, who's got something special? But a lot of them have the basic cookie cutter tools that mm-hmm. they've been learning since they were 10 years old and it's, and add this to it like people back in our day that were 6'3", six, 6'6", six, six, yeah. they were going to play basketball and volleyball they weren't <laughs> playing hockey they, right. didn't, they didn't recognize that this could be part of their activity mm-hmm. and uh, and when they started recognizing that I think they said holy man I can do this too. Can make so some money yeah I can you make add money, the right? size you add the size you add the uh equipment that is functional for what they want to do and it protects them they got less finching you don't see very many goalies finching on shots no they're protected they're bigger they have the technique now are they athletic that's are they reading the game well can they right can they anticipate do they have hockey iq do they have a competitive nature of the sort that you know guys like the the champions have so it's those are the other factors that uh, you might have been looking 100% technical, which is obviously important. But you got those other components that that most of them are pretty technical. <laughs> They're pretty solid that yeah. way. So, so what's going to make the difference between this goalie and that goalie? You know. Do you think we need to? I mean, we all like goals as as a fan, you know, watching the game. Do you think we need to do any new equipment or the nets, or do you think the game is fine where it is? I'm, I'm personally myself again, a guy on the couch. I'm like. I do want to see more goals most nights. Okay, I I, I look at that and I because I'm a goaltender. Right. I, I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking uh, I like the game. I don't know why you want more goals, but I mean I'm I'm right. obviously well, on the other side. But I'm yeah. saying 
Last night, you had a 6-5 scores. You had True. three two scores. You had four three scores. You had two one scores. Uh, I don't know. I think you're getting a good variety of scores. Mm-hmm. Like you say that the, the uh, forwards are getting better. What about the defensemen? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're getting better as well. Like yeah, now I'm... you got six foot four <laughs> defensemen alongside each other, stretching out their arms, <laughs> right. and they're covering way more ice than. Yeah. So now part of them not scoring is the fact that yeah, the goalies are a bit better. That's that's true. But now the the, the defensive systems plus the size of the defensemen mm-hmm. for the most part, there you have another another reason why people aren't scoring. You know, it's yeah. hard to get pucks to the net when you play certain teams. Oh, for sure. And if yeah. you had weaker defensemen, those pucks would still be getting to the net and there'd still be goals. Yeah. Because I see it all the time at the pro level. I mean, those those teams that can box out and prevent guys from getting to the front of the net, and there's some teams in the NHL that are very, very good at it, their goals against are way down. Because mm-hmm. if the goalie can see the puck, he's going to stop them. And so it's it's all part of the whole game is evolving. It's always people are getting better mm-hmm. and bigger. Yeah, <laughs> no, and the, and the coaching's better than ever too. Guys like yourself and and, sure. and, and everybody, sure. yeah, systems and everything else, right? Sure. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I, I like the game. I don't see a problem in our game. Mm-hmm. I think they're still selling tickets galore, and I, yeah, I, think I think so. For the most part, people are. Uh, well, I think they're still enjoying it, but I I, I don't know if. if Necessarily, what would you want? A half a goal more game, or what? two point three point? Yeah. You, know, you know, what would you'd be disappointed goalies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, you would you'd be. Have goalies it would be. more often. I I don't know the answer right. to that one. How about we go? Back, I like the game where it is. Let's go back to the deer hair pads that weigh thirty pounds at the end of the at the end of the game. Maybe we'll do yeah. that. Um, I've been, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had those pads on. When you work with, uh, um, you know, a, a pro goalie or, you know, uh, Marty Turco, Eddie Belfour, Bernier, Reimer, yeah. whoever yeah. these guys you've worked yeah. with, is there something yeah. where you go in and you just like, look, hey, Eddie, uh, Reimer, B- Jonathan, I obviously I believe in, like, okay, so we have the Francois Allaire style that he's gone and you took over for him in Toronto yeah. and. He's more of like a yeah. blocker. He believes in blocking and getting wide yeah. and, you know, dropping down and kind of yeah. covering net. But is there something that yeah. Rick St. Croix, when you come into a guy, is there something that you believe in where you're like, look, you're an awesome goalie, and yeah. you know, but let me tell you, let me help you here and here. Is there a couple of things that you really believe in strongly? Is, I'm sorry. I, oh, is there anything? I got that you, distracted there. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Is there anything that you is believe there something in? Something that I I do? Yeah, like is there a, a a philosophy or something that you you teach these guys right away, and something that you you strongly believe in? Well, well, I, I think the the relationship is is very important. So that there's a starting point to that relationship, and it might be in the, in the first greeting and handshake, and mm-hmm. um, and it may continue on. But that relationship has to be one of trust. Um, I, I tell them very early in, in that relationship that I have been brought here with this team to help you in whatever way I can, mm-hmm. in whatever way you want to use me. So it's sort of like, it's not going to be my road or the highway. Um, it's going to be, how can we um, work together? So mm-hmm. I, I want to work on your with your strengths. I want them to recognize I'm not going to come here and start changing you completely because I think that's a concern for especially younger goalies who are just mm-hmm. first time uh, at the pro level getting a professional goalie coach 
you know, is this guy going to be helping me or tearing me apart? Now, occasionally there are some red flags, but if you discuss it in an open way, it's it's about the discussion and why you're doing it the way you're doing it and coming to some common ground. Results dictate, you know, what needs to change mm-hmm. and what doesn't. Um, but I, I think all those goalies, like the Allaires have had great success. Right. There's a number of goalie coaches out there who have done very well. They they still have primarily the same cookie-cutter stuff, but they may identify the philosophy that there would be some differences there. But that's mm-hmm. going to be the same with every coach that you have coaching the game of hockey, too. If they, they're going to do it with their vision of it. And I, I have uh, – I try to keep it really – basic in terms of the simplicity of it so mm-hmm. that they can just play the game but I'd like them to be well prepared for any situation that might arise um, and and with that if they can certainly make each day count have fun mm-hmm. with that, the process enjoy the journey I mean it, this is, that's my approach and there would be times when I, I think the, the goalie might be struggling mm-hmm. and then for me is to be there in support of him and find out, you know, what is going on or why there appear to be less focus or distraction or, Mm -hmm. and often, uh, you know, being able to connect with that and understand him as an individual and then identify how we're going to move forward. So I've really enjoyed that opportunity with the, so many goalies that uh, I've been able to cross paths with, uh, but most of the time, I'm learning from them. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> right. These guys are so good. So you're, these guys are, you know, top of their game, and you're sitting there, and uh, you're learning from them as much as mm-hmm. they're learning from you. Yeah, like yeah. again, I'm just a guy reading stuff. But it seems like like Alaire comes in, Francois or his brother uh, Benoit, they come in, and like Vesa Toscala, who was a Leaf goalie for a number of years, they tried to. He's yeah. a smaller guy. He was a, he was a reflex guy. Yeah. They tried yeah. to make him into their style. It didn't work out, and Vesa moved no. on and had some terrible. So you're not one of those guys that's like, hey, stop this. I'm going to – you need to do this. You're you're more like a reactive guy. Yeah. Like, what do you like to do? Let me help you. Exactly. Yeah. Let's see where your strengths are. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully that's in line with the organization. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah, like yeah. the sad thing is you could you could come into a program – and their vision of the goalie they want is this, mm-hmm. and and yet they've drafted that, right, and you right. got to go this and that. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's where you, as an organization, you sort of have to be on the same page. Where the goalies that the organization wants, they're identifying that type of goalie style and everything else. Then that's what everyone has to be on the same page working towards. Right. Right. So I, I kind of laugh because years and years ago, it doesn't really matter much now, but but when there was still a stand-up component to the mm-hmm. to the game where that's obviously changed. Right. And Jacques Plant used to teach us to never go down and practice for the whole <laughs> practice, which is pretty humorous when I think right, about when it. Right, you think about it, right. Pete, Pete Peters and myself, we would say, you know, how many times you go down? I said, once. How many times you? Yeah, once. <laughs> and the whole practice. Like, <laughs> nowadays, it's, right. it's just down all the time. So, yeah. so things have changed with, with the... Uh, um, what, what goaltenders are required yeah. to do. But in this situation, we had goalies that were going down. That's what they had drafted. Mm-hmm. And they bring the, I was brought in, and I'm working with them, and they would always be in the meeting saying, well, you got to get them to stand up more. you got to get them to stand up more. And kind of going, <laughs> like, they don't do okay, that. Right, right. I was a stand-up goalie. I can, I can do that stand-up yeah. stuff, and I can teach that. 
But these guys have played, <laughs> yeah, you know, competitive hockey now for all these years. They're not going to like that message. That's not going to be a comfortable message that they will like or be able to do. Yeah, you know? no, so it, yeah. It, it, I don't think that's going to happen as much anymore. Right. Because now that cookie cutter pretty much is right across the board. Everyone kind of plays the same way. Mm-hmm. But that was a, a funny thing early in my career, seeing that, gee, we have to be on the same page here. If you want stand-up goalies and draft them. If you right. want butterfly goalies and draft them, you know? Yeah. Well, even like in the mid-'90s, like Kirk McLean was a stand-up guy and had a lot of success. Yeah. And he was maybe the last yeah. dude that, you know, kind of didn't flop around yeah. a little bit. And so it wasn't that long yeah. ago, it, you know? It, the system works. I mean, <laughs> but, but I, I would – much prefer this other system now that I I've right. worked with it and I understand it. I mean, it's just percentages. It's just you do certain things because yeah. you know the puck's got to hit you. It's pretty. It's, it's it's smarter. It's a better way to play for sure. Pretty funny but though. You and Pete the Peters stand-up stuff did work. You and Pete Peters discussing about how how proud you are. You barely went down in practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your change. Now Pete yeah. is a special guy because because he I felt over his career changed his his style. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, almost three times and did extremely well at all three. Like mm-hmm. He was way, uh, he was such a good goalie, right. capable of so much because uh, not very many goalies can change their style very much and come back and, you know, it's like the golfer who changes his swing, swing. completely yeah. and comes back and still, and still wins, you know. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it and uh, thanks to our guys, for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's Power Play Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the Power Play board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front. Removable, long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these Power Play Whiteboards and check them out. Use code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your PowerPlay board. All right, back to the show. I, uh, I work with these uh, top-level athletes in the, the motorcycle racing, and uh, before I covered them as a media guy, I was on teams as a mechanic for, for riders, and I've seen firsthand these guys are making millions of dollars at the top level, and they are basket cases mentally. Some of them are, anyways. And, and one mm-hmm. little, like... Um, one little um, success or failure in, inside of a race can send them into, you know, a sort of a, a slump or vice or the, on the other side, it can send them to new levels. There's such, yeah. uh, it's such a confidence thing. So is it like that in yeah. goaltending is the same way? These guys are just kind of a little bit of basket cases that you have to calm down at times upstairs. Well, confidence is huge yeah. uh, for every athlete. Right. It doesn't matter whatever sport you're playing. If you're feeling it and you, you're happy in your skin at that time, you're going to have a better chance of, of getting into the zone. But, and if you're struggling with issues wherever, on and off the ice, yeah, then it can affect you. Mm-hmm. But I think today's goalie is way better than they used to be. Yeah, I, I find that the goalies I work with now – are are they can you can talk to them during the day mm-hmm. they are more relaxed it appears to <laughs> right. be and I, and that's again as a goalie coach is part of what I'm hoping to discover and help them improve in mm-hmm. but they are um uh well Corey Snyder for example I got mm-hmm. to work with him and it was just a treat I tell you in, right. in Manitoba mm-hmm. what a down to earth level headed guy that every day came to work and he was the first star most nights. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, he just came in with the same 
uh, mindset, same uh, ego, just come to work, and it was just a joy to watch. Right. And uh, he played so well. Day game in, game out, game in, game out, pressure, mm-hmm. no pressure, got it done. And it, there, I think more goalies are like that. They, they've, I think, recognized maybe from following these other guys that that you don't have to be tied up in a knot all day long. Right. It doesn't help your game anyways, probably over the long haul. There's got to be a time during the day that you can zone in get ready, right? on yep. the mental side of it and get to that uh, part of your game quickly without you know spending mm-hmm. hours and hours, which I did as a junior for sure. Oh, and, did you? Yeah. And as a pro, spent way too much uh preparing about the game by the time the game came i was probably mentally <laughs> fatigued to yeah. a certain degree so i wasn't going to perform you know outside that uh that average range you know right um yeah i imagine so some of your phone calls some of your discussions on the ice have nothing to do with technique they're just all trying to get a guy happy how's things going everything else you know exactly yeah, I, yeah just just talking or or letting them just talk. Just sometimes right, just by right. talking, you're, you're yeah. letting go of anything. And then if you identify something, but I've also experienced some goalies who, who are way better when they tend to get more uptight. So right. they, they, they're fun to kind if, of if, say, oh, boy, this is if, just a um, cat. But if you're it's just sort of like some, some point that motivation where <laughs> as long as everyone's pissed off at them, they can play great. And I go, whoa, that's a different. But that's how you learn different personalities are have different motivations, but most of them, yeah. most of them now for me is, is they put in a good day's work and then mm-hmm. uh, um, they focus in at the right times for the most part. And uh, in recent years, anyways, I think even, even in Toronto, I mean, we, I like both Brindy and Ryan's and they're good goalies. And, uh, you know, we, we had a tough time, you know, the scoring chances of grade eight chances were just a few too many every night. Mm-hmm. Too many to deal with that that uh it reflects in your stats, but it's not that you're not a good goalie. It's just you're you're just having to make too many of those grade eight chances every night and it catches up to you and and I think this year they've they've been able to improve in that area and uh look at how Rhymes has responded, you know. So right. it's just what? sometimes you gotta persist in any sport or any any venture, if you don't persist long enough, you don't get a chance to let the sun shine and and uh, the windows open up and everyone things start to start to go in the right direction. Does some of that issues with uh, well, Bernie had a terrific year with you one year for sure. Um, yeah, Reimer yeah. and Reimer was down, and we've seen a little bit of switch this year. Bernie is struggling, yeah. and Reimer's having yeah. a great year. So. Maybe yeah, yeah maybe Reimer just didn't like your teaching, Rick. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. But <laughs> actually, we got to the we got into the playoffs that one year with yeah, Reimer. True. Remember? Yeah, yeah. So that that he had a fabulous year there. He did. So it's sort of like yeah, I I I, I wish it had gone better, and uh, could I have done things differently? You know, probably some mm-hmm. areas for sure. But but I saw a lot of improvement in the process. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd still like to be there. Be you know like sort of in that, you know, seeing it all come in the development side of it. But yeah. as it turns out, this is the best way it could have evolved for James. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got to give him credit. He, Absolutely. he just keeps plugging in there, and he's got uh, a bunch of lives. You know, and, yeah. and, uh, he, he's back back on the uh, on the edge of, of being wanted. And, you know, and guess what? It's going to happen with Bernier, too. 
and uh, how that unfolds, who knows? Yeah, I was going to ask you: Are you are you still a believe? Like, I mean, obviously you're not there anymore. You're not coaching him. You're with a different organization, yeah. so you yeah. don't know. But yeah. it's certainly strange because when they got Bernier and you first started working with him. I thought it was a steal. Bill Ranford, who'd working with him, Ron Hextall, who'd worked with him in L.A., was like, "We didn't want to yeah, give yeah. him up. This is this is you know we just had to. He need quick as quick you know we got to give him playing yeah. time." I love the trade. Yeah. Highly drafted, had yeah. the skills, and then I don't know what's gone on, but I mean, you know, again from the outside, what do you think? What's happening? Can can he get it back? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And he did get it back. I mean, he's gotten it back. I think what right now what's happened is mm-hmm. Ryan's just taking it. Right. Right. Grimes has taken it. Grimes, um, the last couple of years, Bernie had it, and, mm-hmm. his, his, and he didn't give it up. This year he let it, year, gave it up yeah. a little bit, and Rhymes has been able to grab it. Right. So it's not that, you know, Bernie struggled and then went down to the minors, then came up, and, yeah, and he played, played extremely well. Yeah, you're right. So, yep. so then it's not so much, it's sort of like now he's got to kind of sit back and wait his turn, and, and the other guy has now got the ball. You had that a little bit with Andy Moog and uh, Grant Fuhrer a little mm-hmm. bit, or even Chico Resch and Billy Smith. Right. You know, you had two goalies that were pretty darn good, and then, uh, you know, they traded off some parts of some years where one guy got the ball, and he carried it for a while. And then when it came down to the crunch, you know, the Islanders seemed to go with, with Billy. Yep. And uh, Evigen seemed to go with Fuhrer. So then the other guys still contributed and still deserved their name on that cup because if they hadn't played their yeah. 25 solid games, they wouldn't have made the playoffs maybe, you know? Yeah, or even Fear and Moak sure switched. Their stats. Yeah, even Mo, Fear and Moak switched off in the playoffs even, back and forth, you know, for yeah. a couple of those cups. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, for sure, but it, two goalies can, can make it work. Uh, right. is a good goalie. James Reimer is a good goalie, too. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, some people said, no, well, there you go. It just, yeah, it yeah. Just, you know, sometimes you gotta you got to stick it out and continue believing in yourself. And, and uh, if you don't have belief in yourself, then how is everyone else going to believe in you? When you're a goalie coach, can you go to Babcock, or in your case, Carlisle, Randy was there, can you be like, hey, we got to get this other guy in? I know you're – because coaches are all about winning, right? They just want to win and go with the yeah. hot hand or whatever. Yeah. Can you lobby as a goalie coach and, and I guess – or do you, I guess, ever lobby and be like, hey, we got to well, give this yeah. guy some well, starts? You, you, you can, but you, identi- but you recognize that it's not your call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless the organization says or the coach says, this is your call, you're in charge. Mm-hmm. But uh, – um, Usually that's the final decision by the coach, and right. he goes by his gut, and he's yep. the head coach, and that's he's earned that yeah. right to make right. that call. Yep. And you can, in discussion, it'd be just uh, different personalities, how they're going to handle it. Um, there's sometimes I, I absolutely wish I had spoken up more, mm-hmm. and other times I, I think it was the right way to handle it. Like, right, right. You know, like sometimes it is a gut, and the head coach has got a lot more pressure on him and a lot more thinking going on probably in some areas. and. Mm-hmm. Um, their ultimately bottom line is making that call. Um, when, uh, and I'm not sure what Toronto's doing right now. I, I'm thinking Babcock is making the call. I would think so. I think he makes all the calls, every of them, because he's yeah. making more money than yeah. just about everybody. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, <laughs> when, um, when you're in Toronto and things are going south, and I've always heard this, so I want to get your opinion on it. Things are going south. They're, they're, just, they're in a playoff spot, and it's going, it's going terrible, and nobody can stop anything. And, you know, the Randy's fired and, and everybody's under siege. How much, if that was happening in Nashville, that's one thing, but it's happening in Toronto, how much of that outside noise do you, 
or the players listen to, and does it affect, or is that just like a, a media myth that that it's hard no, to play? It affects them. They, they can't. They we won't, we call that outside noise that we're trying to get rid of and, and avoid, but it is so hard. It is okay, yeah. Yeah. especially in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Hold one sec. Yeah, it's not easy at all. It, yeah. that's a situation that that uh, it's there and it affects people because they. They probably watch it more than they should be, or right. listen to it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but they uh, so it is trying harder. to block yep. that out. But yep. that's that's not easy for coaches, for players. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's just a. It's, a, it's not a good situation. Yeah, so it, it does affect. It, it is a fact. You have to deal with playing in a Canadian large market like that, or Vancouver, or Toronto, or well, Montreal. Look at Montreal right now. Yeah, just yeah. who would have thought of that a year ago? Who would have <laughs> right. thought of that at the start of the season? I you know. Just, it's just shocking. Yeah. But it just shows you what it means to be feeling good, mm-hmm. to be in a place where you're confident. And as a team, when the team is confident, boy, oh, boy, they look like they're, they're, they're so good. Right. And then you look at this situation, now you kind of go, those are the same players. That's still <laughs> what's, there. What's happened? <laughs> all, the, all that talent is still there. It's just not flowing now. Do you, do you get – Amazing. Do you get – as a goalie coach or an assistant coach, does Carlisle or Hitchcock or any of these guys or the general managers of these teams, do they call you up personally, Rick St. Croix, and be like, what the F is going on? you got to fix these guys. I mean, is there that kind of pressure on, on a guy like you? No. No? No, I've never okay. I've never experienced yeah, that. Yeah, I, yep. I mean, it, it might be something where you, you kind of get a question presented to you that you read through a little read more into it or whatever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I yep. mean, I, I know I've always, uh, done my best of, uh, whatever. And I don't know what more I would do or could do, but yeah, no, I've never experienced that. Nope. Um, Eddie Balfour, you won a cup in 99 with Dallas stars as a goaltender coach and Eddie Balfour, yeah. uh, Daryl Ray's been on the show. And I know from talking to Ferraro, I mean, there's, Everybody has Eddie Belfour stories, and and when you talked about goalies who are wound up and maybe too intense, you're probably thinking of Eddie. What was that like to work with a guy who was probably the best goalie in the league, uh, if not maybe Patrick Wall, yeah, in back. the world? Yeah, in the world. Yeah, he, he was the best in the world. I mean, I, I I there's a good example primarily for me that I learned the most from Eddie. I didn't teach Eddie anything. I'll tell you anybody that <laughs> you didn't Honestly, teach Eddie, I, right? Right. That's no, interesting. Because here's here's what happened on almost the second day I was there. Ken Hitchcock brought me in. He mm-hmm. said, "Listen, we've just signed Eddie, and we're all excited about that. We're paying him something like six million a year, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and we have you. But if if we need you to be working with Eddie, then we're in big trouble because <laughs> we're paying him all this money. We think he can do it. Right. And I and I go right on. I mean, I, I can understand that. But yeah. I said, but he said we also have these guys here that need work." And this is where we want more of your attention. And then he starts mentioning Roman Turk. Mm-hmm. Then he mentions uh, Manny Fernandez. Then he mentions, uh, well, a year later, sort of two, then it was Marty Turkle. Marty Turkle, yeah. Like, what a stable of goaltenders. Right. So, I mean, I, I was just surrounded with, with talent, you know. So with Eddie, I just found that I, I recognized things in his work habits and his and how he tracked pucks and stuff that for me as a goalie coach, how lucky was I to be able to pick up on that and try to learn from that. And, and I still do. I mean, there's so many things that he did on the ice that were, 
I felt he was the best in the world at that time. <laughs> How's it going, Eddie? Good. And that, that was your job for the day with, with him? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I sat around there and, and pretty much, uh, how's it going? <laughs> right, right. And, uh, and then they, we would yeah, occasionally talk on, on the different matters, but right. it would be uh, primarily, without a doubt, it was, it was, he, he was in charge. He, yeah. he, he controlled a lot of things about what was going to happen for him, and Hitch was smart enough to identify that he could do that without losing his team. And he, he and he did, and and Eddie rewarded him. Mm-hmm. He he met him at a full bore the other way, and and played like a champion goalie that he was. Um, yeah, no, that was that was a great a great opportunity to be with Dallas those years. How prickly was he to deal with for you, or ever at all, or no? Was uh, intense? You know what I mean? All how the, what? How how intense was he? How uh, how much? Oh wow! I mean, did it get to a point yeah, where he snapped at you yeah, sometimes? He, he, <laughs> He was he he was intense, but it was just it was, I have a funny story too. Early in that in that opportunity to work with him, mm-hmm. um, I get out and we've got uh, drills, and he I says, "Okay, what today we got whatever." I said, "You have something in mind that you want to work on?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I'm thinking, "Wow, right. I'm going to get some drills here. This sure. is going to be awesome, right?" Right. So we uh, get the puck set up. He gets one shooter here, and he puts over in the top of the circle on one side, top of the circle on the other side, and he said, "Okay, tell." Noondike to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then, and then, he goes, and then, and then go tell, I forget who it was right. on the other side. Yeah. Red Hall, shoot from there. Uh, yeah, yeah, what else, what else? Well, that's good. You know, just have him shoot there, and then I'll move over here and then have him shoot there. Yeah, then what? Then, no, just have him move there. <laughs> that's it. And then we do that. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, he's, he's really pulling my leg in. Right. So then, and then, and then we go, um, he goes, yeah, now, now, have Newey pass it over to Red. You know, so now it's a pass across shot. Right. Wow. Now we're really yeah. getting into this. <laughs> Real no, technical, but right? That, right. But, but that's but the beauty of that. What taught me that was sometimes we get these drills that are so layered with this, 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 this that you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. And here was an example. All he wanted was that and that and yeah. that. And then another drill came up, and it was it was so simple. I thought, wow. <laughs> Here I am, you know. So, so then a couple of days later, I give him some of my drills, and he goes in and he's doing it. And when my drill had coded like six different shots, uh, one for the point, mm-hmm. top of the circle, one from the corner out, and both sides six shot drill with a breakaway, so seven shots total. Okay, well that's way more ideas to think about, right? Yeah. For the process, and that's a great drill. And he does that. Next day he comes, he goes, I can barely move. I am so stiff. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, oh, geez, oh, that was. You should see my other drill. Mm-hmm. That, that was tough. Yeah. But anyway, so it, it just taught me that simplicity sometimes is very, very important, and it doesn't have to be such a trying drill. It can be an easier type drill that that they just experience the feeling of success doing something easy. Right. But it, it but it incorporates the purpose, you know. So yeah, that's, and then, that's uh, all learning, right? Hey, and then you go over to Turco and you're like, hey, let me show you about handling the puck. Oh wait, never mind, never mind, because you can exactly you can, you can exactly. shoot it in the top and corner, he was, for, right? Oh, he was unbelievable, right? Oh man, was he yes. ever? Um, what was ever. what was Belfour's technically technical wise now? Uh, what was Belfour's greatest strength? What do you think got him those Vesnas and cups and? I just felt that his positioning, because the way he tracked pucks was so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Eagle, Eddie the Eagle was very appropriate, right? Right. Because he followed the puck like an eagle. Yeah. He he would know where pucks were going before they got there, and his anticipation, sort of like uh, Brodeur, 
great anticipation of the game. So his tracking skills, getting to his spot, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he, he knew what was going on. He was smart. Between uh, Eddie and uh, Hull and Hitchcock and Hatcher, uh, Daryl Ray was on, like I said, a little. We had him. He was covering that as a broadcaster, yeah. former goalie. What, yeah. a, what a bunch of personalities on that show, on that team. Oh, uh, it was pretty. Don't forget Mike Keane. Quiet oh, little yeah. Mike Keane yeah, in yeah. the background. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was quite a, quite a network of, uh, uh, of a special team. And uh, I, I was fortunate to be with the, with the organization at yeah, that time. That's awesome. And, uh, um, your career, let's touch on your career before we wrap up. Rick St. Croix here on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Um, she started out with those with those flyer teams, and they weren't the cup-winning teams, but, hey, uh, all those guys were there, Clark and uh, and, and all those yeah. guys, uh, yeah. Reggie Leach and all those dudes. Um, yeah. And Pat Quinn, of course, you, you the, the, the year before, you you played one game in that year. They won 35 straight, but that was a like a quietly underrated team. Never got the cup, lost in the final in that one year. But yeah. a really yeah. strong team for a number of years with Pat Quinn coaching, huh? They were. They were. They were a very strong team, and it was uh, again a great time in my life to be part of that. I found. Um, don't forget, we were the main Mariners for three years, where they developed us. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of us men ended up going up to the Flyers, but that team won two Calder Cups. Oh yeah, that was a, yeah. a really good minor league team. And then, and then a lot of those players got to play up there. And Bobby Clark, well, probably one of the best captains sure. ever. Right. And Reggie Leach, one of the hardest shots ever. I mean, they had pieces to the puzzle there that were phenomenal. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of was, good memories there. And uh, um, yeah, then life moves on. Um, what was it like playing um, with Pelly Lindbergh? Of course, we, we you know he tragically passed away yeah. early on after you left. Yeah. But did you see yeah. greatness in the guy? Yeah, I played with him, and uh, he he was there. He was the goalie that they were identifying to be the next uh, big guy there. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, he had uh, he was like a little smaller version of Bernie Perron. Like, oh, okay. Very much like him. Yeah. He was very very similar to him, just uh, smaller in stature. Um, and he had been showing, you know, that that was going to happen. He was mm-hmm. moving in that direction. He was young and he was quick and. And uh, like he he kicked out with both legs, uh, yeah. It was yep. uh, in, interesting um, uh, and fun working with him and playing with him. It was uh, again, it was, yeah, nice guy. Your your life is a yeah. well, is a all kinds of experiences and it's a journey. And the journey is while you're playing for the cup, but but there's a bigger journey. It's a life journey that's going on, and this sure. is going back now. 30-some years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or more. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what we do on this show. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. When I was doing research for you about uh, your career and everything else, it said that you you requested a trade. Uh, you were unhappy with yeah. your playing time in Philly. Was that true? Is that uh, is that what happened? Yeah, that that's that's uh, probably one of the disappointing areas of, of uh, you know, I wanted to play more for sure, right. and I had played five years in the minors, and I was getting more ice time, and in my head I thought I, I could handle more. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh yeah, it was sort of a, a discussion with, with my agents uh hoping to get more ice time and that's the decision that was made and uh you know, I ended up then getting traded to Toronto. And be careful um, what you wish for, I, right? <laughs> I, I liked the Philly the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean all the players and everything else, I have huge respect for them and I always right. will. Um but you know, like anything, anyone any time as I look back, anytime someone asks me to trade, you you're 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 
there's a amount of disrespect towards the organization that that mm-hmm. when I was younger I maybe didn't appreciate. As I'm older right. now, I look at that and say, well, you know what? Could I have stuck it out? You know, but I but I did want to play more. Yeah, and, well, uh, like anybody, right? That was a burning yeah. desire for me to play more. That's all. Right. But I but I liked everyone there, and I, you know, if I regret something, I just regret that. And be careful what you wish for, because you went to probably the worst team in the league, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know. you know what? It was interesting. For the first year, I held my head above that. I thought. Okay. I, I played. I thought I played really well. I was really pleased with that. But mm-hmm. but about a year later, as it started to, I, I was now starting to struggle with it, and that's when I needed. Uh, I needed someone to grab me and just say, "This is what's happening. This is what you're doing to yourself. Do you yeah. see it?" Right, and right. I just kept working harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And it, it wasn't about the, the work ethic here because a lot of the stuff I was doing was working out, was was playing well. It's just I wasn't used to losing. Sure. Having come from the Flyers, we won most of the time. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that was another great experience because it taught me a yep. bunch of things that I think has helped me moving forward as a coach yeah yeah you've experienced that part of it so i can relate to sort of maybe some of the emotions that some of these kids might go through yeah absolutely uh you're you at some point you end up in the ihl with fort wayne and you have a solid year um you're i don't know if you were under contract with the leafs anymore probably not so did you why'd you decide to hang it up you had a good year in the eye you probably weren't that old at this point because you you know yeah i i retired at 32 um i had uh then my third child Mm-hmm. And then it just looked like the uncertainty of bouncing around. Sure, it looked like uh, you know I was going to probably be up and down between the American League or the International League or the NHL. Right, and I just didn't feel I was going to put my family through that. Yeah, I just basically, and I played six years of junior, which you might not realize, but add six years to that. True, so right? Six yeah. plus twelve. That's eighteen years. So I started playing junior at 14. So that that was competitive. So right. I think I was just feeling a little bit weary there at mm-hmm. the end. And then I started thinking about my family and bounced around. I thought, yeah. uh, no, <laughs> I don't think I'm willing to do that. That was it. Um, so that's that's what happened. I was 32. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess, yeah, like you said, when you add in the, uh, the minors too, the five years in the minors and then the six years of junior, before anybody saw you, you know what I mean, as a full-time NHL guy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's six, five, and five, yeah. Um, what was your what was your game that stood out for you? That where you were just you played amazing. Is there a game or two that you were just on fire with them? Obviously, you got in the playoffs that one year when when Peters got hurt. Um, was, yeah, was there um, a game well, that... that 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 playoff run there? We had I had the shutout in Calgary, which was a mm-hmm. special game. Uh, we had a game in the American League actually against the the Russian Dynamo team that uh, was a really exciting game. We oh. won one nothing. I think we were the only North American team to beat them that year oh wow well we were the main mariners were a pretty solid team like i said yeah uh, yeah, yeah and uh we had a one nothing score so i'll always remember that game um and i mean there's there are others i'm sure if i sat down and pondered yeah, but i thought about it probably yeah. be able to ponder about some bad ones too <laughs> <laughs> especially in toronto no doubt yeah you bet um, you bet well hey thank you for doing this rick i really appreciate the uh this the walk down memory lane as well as all the uh the things you've done in stanley cup winner like i said um, worked with some amazing goalies, and then you, you yourself had a nice yeah. career in the NHL. So um, thank you for, well, for th- taking time. Thank you, Steve. I've enjoyed the talk. All, right. All the best to you. All right. Thanks very much, Rick. Thank you. Take care, Steve. Bye. Good luck. Bye. Bye.